0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about early intervention, early responses to domestic abuse. But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. That's right. Every week I remind you of the great resources that are available at PeaceWorks University. It's our online membership community and it's chock full of resources. If you are benefiting from the things you are hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then I believe PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends, we're back at it again. And uh, today we're talking about early responses or early interventions. And we have a question that came in regarding this. So let me grab my question here um, so I can read it correctly. What red flags can ministry leaders look for in marriages so they can intervene in domestic abuse cases early rather than waiting for victims to approach them. So this is an interesting question, and I think at the outset we probably need to um, just maybe set the bar in a, and I hate to say it this way, but I think this is the best way to say it, uh, in a in a realistic place. And I, I appreciate the heart of the question, and I think there are things that we as ministry leaders can do, but nothing, uh, quite frankly, is as effective or Uh, as beneficial, as a disclosure. Now, granted, I understand a lot of ministry leaders still uh, have missed the mark, disappointed, dropped the ball following a disclosure. Uh, But for the sake of this question and really putting things into perspective, I think it's important to recognize that I, I know very few ministers that are going to preventatively police their congregation uh, effectively because domestic abuse primarily is such a hidden and well-hidden sin that it uh, it is disappointing when a uh, ministry leader doesn't respond early, doesn't see the red flags as it were. We're going to talk more about maybe some things we can recognize, but I do want to throw out there that no one uh, really is equipped to simply see a marriage or relationship from a distance and attribute and understand the dynamics and impact that happen behind closed doors. And so preventative care is very difficult from an intervention perspective. Preventative care is really about education from a congregational perspective, from a small group perspective, from a leadership perspective, making sure that we're educated, we understand the dynamics and impact of abuse, that we have basic responses prepared, that we have um, kind of a a flowchart understanding of who we contact next and when, when there is a disclosure. Uh, But from, say, a pastor's perspective, preaching every Sunday, I know, um, I don't know any pastor really that can stand in the pulpit, look out in the congregation, and apart from a um, a Holy Spirit intervention or something from a supernatural perspective. Look at a couple and go, "Oh, apart from some of the red flags we'll talk about, I suspect there's abuse." Because again, abuse is so well hidden, um, and domestic abuse in particular is so well hidden. But let's talk a little bit about some of the things we can look for. Now that we've said that, you know, it's it's a difficult prospect apart from a disclosure, and even then. Pastors, ministry leaders have a hard time responding, even with a disclosure. But apart from a disclosure, let's talk a little bit about some of these red flags. Um, Much of this is going to be seen not so much in casual interaction, but it's going to be seen far more readily in, say, interpersonal relationships, such as we're seeing the, the pastor for counseling, or we're... In front of our small group leaders weekly, we have a close discipleship relationship with this couple in the church. Those are the life-on-life the life type scenarios where red flags, um, concerns, caution are going to rise, um, far more likely in these more intimate and personal uh, relationships. But Uh, To begin with, I think the first thing anyone is looking for is is the aspect of control. Uh, Abuse is so central on the uh, controlling, dominating side that if you're in a small group with a couple and she, for instance, has very little say in the relationship, um, he constantly makes all the decisions or... um, She's restricted in the things that she can do. Your interactions with them are limited, as he is the gatekeeper. Uh, those could be some red flags. Now, understand that really, so many relationships can um, can have mutually agreed upon roles that people are functioning in. Uh, different personalities or temperaments can play into how one interacts. And um, so, again, we're speaking generally, but the first thing we're typically looking for is control that someone tends to dominate the relationship it's usually the person uh, with the more with more power or authority or position uh, and they tend to dominate now that's often accompanied because it's not just control because there's controlling people that aren't abusive it's the aspect of coercion coercive control the concept that accompanied with that controlling is threat fear intimidation. So those types of behaviors accompanying that controlling behavior, there's a price to pay. If I don't, don't do what my husband says I need to do. There's a a low level heat all the time of, you know, I know there's a um, recourse, there's a recompense, there's a reality, right? Uh, If I resist, push back, if I don't comply, so you know, accompanying controlling behavior with looking for aspects of fear, threat, intimidation, manipulation, and these are some of the things that make these conversations so difficult with pastors and ministry leaders because we will work in, say, a common couple issues where one person is using tactics that are manipulative, but they don't contain the power, control, fear, threat aspect. Uh, and so sometimes we can be, be presented with red flags concerning behavior and it can mirror what some might call, you know, garden variety, marriage problems. So again, this is a very difficult prospect to be preventative, but we are talking first of all about looking for control, control that's coercive, threatening, climate of fear, intimidation. Those are some red flags. Um, Minimization, denial, and blame, I think, are usually the tips of the iceberg in abusive behavior that, that I encounter when addressing issues. And so if there is, uh, let's just put it in a small group environment, there's a couple in your small group, you've noticed that she really seems to lack agency. She has to run everything by her husband. She's often restricted, can't really go anywhere without him. It, it seems odd to you. So you press in a little bit more, find the same kinds of resistance and controlling and um, are, are beginning to sense that, that maybe there's consequences if she doesn't comply. And so you you offer a, a series of questions, you know, to ask about that, to kind of lean into what you're feeling and you're met with resistance from him, for instance, of Oh, it's nothing like that. No, that's total exaggeration. She really, when he begins to speak for her, she really just wants to be led or leaders have to lead. And when you're met with trite comments and flippant responses and the the individual that you're talking with doesn't share your concern, those are red flags to me. When concerns Of an of an individual that you care for, a sister in your small group or in your church family, or someone that you're pastoring or shepherding, and when you bring up concerns, the partner's first response is to reduce, minimize, to deny, right? Well, that's not the case. They 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 will then reframe the issue or blame. You know, especially when blame shifts to, oh, the opposite's actually true. You know, my wife just she hounds me all the time or she's really a problem, the eagerness to blame are all like alarm bells for me because an individual who's even subtly confronted with, again, garden variety problems, something that could just be marital conflict, um, a person who's in a position of genuinely wanting to learn or concerned about um their own self-perception or how they are behaving within the community of faith, they, they will respond with more questions or self-reflection, right? In abusive relationships, you rarely get self-reflection. You get more deflection. There may be a kind of a self-loathing. There may be an intrinsic element, but it's often deflective in that it is an outside problem. A stressor at work, um, a substance to be more severe. It is a shared problem, right? The kids, the finances. So it's going to be mutualized or it's the other person's problem. You know, it's really that my wife does this, this, or this. And so being met with minimization of the problem or the impact of the, of the choices that this person's made, uh, denial that's just, it doesn't exist or blame are also red flags to kind of keep pressing in in a safe way. Um, I I would guard against being presumptuous that you're dealing with abuse even. I think being inquisitive, being a learner, is far more beneficial. Even if you do suspect uh, there's coercive control, coming at it from a position of a learner uh, allows you to kind of withhold judgment while also Gathering the data that you need, clarifying the issues that you see as a concern. And those are, um, and those will build upon themselves because abuse, remember, is a pattern of behavior. So it is not just um, the impact, although it is, it's not just the motivations, although they are involved. It is also a pattern, kind of an ongoing reality. Uh, for the victim and, of course, an ongoing um, course of behavior choices, volition for the abuser. So coercive control, huge red flag, when control is used in the home in such a way that people are intimidated, fearful when there's threat. Um, Minimization of conflict, problems, denial, blame, those are red flags. Um, And then I think... The, the latter part of the question is, you know, how do you, um, how do you intervene or, or once you are more convinced, you know, um, are you prepared to intervene? And I, I would, again, lean towards, granted, if there's immediate threat, danger, if someone's life is at risk, if immediate physical harm is at risk or ske- sexual safety is at risk, there are obviously categories to this, but I encourage ministry leaders not to move ahead with an intervention uh, until the victim is ready to do so. So let's say you, again, back to the small group, we have seen coercive control. Uh, we've witnessed a blow up during a, a stressful evening. We've seen a lack of agency. And now we've pressed in and we've got a disclosure. We've pressed in with him and it's been minimized. Uh, We pressed in with her and we get a disclosure and it's just the tip of the iceberg. So we know that there's some significant harm now happening in the home. Um, But in our conversations with her, she's not ready to move forward and really doesn't want to expose our knowledge of the events because of what that might do to him. I would say the wise move is then to respect that and work out a process with her uh, to build an intervention. And you also want a team uh, to be part of that process. So connecting her to a good advocate or counselor that can work with you as a ministry leader to prepare an intervention that's going to provide for her safety, which includes safety planning, safety provisions that might be engage with the church, possible legal action, if there's a civil or criminal matter that's at hand and how the church is going to respond to that. So I think intervention is essential. I, I don't I don't see men men who abuse changing without intervention. Um however I I hesitate to run ahead of the victim and certainly struggle when I see churches do that. When when the church becomes the primary player, um, you know, rather than the victim, uh, being the, the primary client or counselee. So uh, I do think that early intervention is possible. I think the early intervention is, um, beneficial when it happens. I think early, um, detection is much more difficult than simply a list of red flags Early detection is going to involve more personal relationships, life on life. Very difficult to do uh, with an abusive family or uh, a family who's going through the throes of domestic abuse because of the nature of coercive control and the significance of that control over the parties in the relationship and the need for secrecy and being hidden and the abusers need to have a good reputation, put a good face forward. And so things will be very different publicly than they are privately. And so, again, I think early detection is far more difficult without disclosures, but there are a few things you can look for. Coercion, intimidation, threat, fear, lack of agency. Um, And then also uh, minimization, denial, and blame when you press in. Prevention for the church that is most effective, I will go back to this again, is education. I think the more we can talk about this, have open and free conversations about this, make this part of our leadership training, our small group leader training, um, requirements for our elders to have at least basic education in the dynamics and impact of abuse, partner with counseling and care agencies, or create them within the local church that are thoroughly vetted and equipped uh, to do domestic abuse uh, care and uh, intervention when necessary will all be huge preventative measures to help victims and serve them well. There are a few churches out there that I've worked with who do a good job at this, especially at the small group leader level, um, setting up just kind of some things to look for to try to to you know flesh out the again garden variety marriage conflict versus coercive control. And then also how to make proper referrals, because this may not be an issue that should be handled at the level of the small group. In fact, the small group leader may be engaged as a mentor or an advocate, depending upon um, the case. But you're much more um, beneficial, much more beneficial to the church to have a team-based response that includes counselors that are uh, vetted and uh, advocates that are prepared, and then people who can do interventions well that are skilled at that. But uh, yeah, I hope that helps with the question. Um, th- that is a very difficult question to answer. I do think there are red flags out there. Uh, I think they are most visible again in more intimate settings, personal relationships, small groups, friendships, discipling relationships, pastoral counseling relationships than say they would be uh, in a board meeting or from the pulpit or from a weekly, you know, church service. And so again, nothing will replace a disclosure uh, although there are no guarantees that disclosures will be handled handled well but nothing replaces a disclosure so thank you for the question I hope that is helpful uh, to get us started uh, with the uh with the discussion and we may revisit that because there are so many red flags um, so many more that we could talk about uh, when it comes to domestic abuse and certainly um, when it comes to how biblical counselors pastoral counselors and people in those more intimate environments can be, can be ready. So we may revisit that, uh, topic again. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate everybody who tunes into the PeaceWorks podcast. You are so valued and you are a big part of our PeaceWorks family. Uh, if you would, would you rate, review, subscribe, follow, like whatever the platform you're listening on asks you to do? Would you let them know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast? Would you share our podcast with a pastor, a friend, ministry leader that might benefit from this content? And of course, please check out our resources at chrismoles.org. Thank you again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.